2 Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 5 through 9. If you have the means and you're able, I would ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word. Let's read. It says, For this very reason, you make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Supplement your virtue with knowledge. Supplement your knowledge with self-control. And your self-control with perseverance or steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and they're increasing... They will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. He's having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your call and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way... There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will soon be, as our Lord Jesus Christ already made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. You can be seated. Let me pray one more time, please. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power that is in it to change us. Father, it's my prayer right now that Your Word would speak through me. Father, I pray that I would not be able to say anything other than what You would inspire from this Word. Father, I pray that You cause Your Word to accomplish its purpose. I know from Your promise that it will not return to You void. You will cause it to do what You sent it out to do. So I just call You according to Your Word this morning to do according to Your will. Father, again, we we can't do anything without You, God. So right now we come to You proclaiming that, and I'm just asking You that You have Your way. You do what You want through this Word this morning. Father, we love You, and I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We only have one more sermon in this series uh, on the marks of Christian growth. Uh, We started out with a little poem that says, If there were a yardstick to measure the Spirit. You see our overgrown yardstick up here. If there were a yardstick to measure the Spirit and you could mark the growth of your past, I wonder how you would answer this question, Are you taller this year than last? Ultimately, what we see from Peter here is a growth chart. And he says that if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, then they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, in light of the gospel call that He's called you to come out of darkness into Christ's light through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, He says now it is up to you to make every effort to grow in your faith. You're not working to receive your salvation, but in light of the fact that you are saved, 
He says, now you make every effort to grow in this path. The thing that uh, we started with was that it all begins with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We are saved by faith and faith alone. But then it doesn't stop at faith. So many people stop at believing. It's not enough to just believe. It is enough to believe unto salvation. And when you believe, your belief will follow the direction of what you believe in. And so because Noah believed that God was going to flood the earth, but that through an ark he was going to save his family, what did Noah do? He built an ark. Was Noah saved because he built the ark? No. Noah built the ark because he was... And you won't add these things to be saved, but instead you will add these things because you are called out of darkness into the light of Jesus Christ. So He tells to us to add virtue to our faith, but here's the problem. We can't be good. Jeremiah 13, 23 says, Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Or can a leopard take away his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to evil. In other words... We can't be good any more than the Ethiopian can change his skin or any more than a leopard can take away his spots. But by the grace of God and the power of God, we can be good as long as we add knowledge to our goodness. So that's the reason why we go from faith to adding virtue or moral excellence. And then we add knowledge of Christ so that we can be good. So we learn more and more about Jesus Christ. And because of that, we're able to apply it to our life by the power of God. We can become like Him. But knowledge is no good without self-control. Because what good is knowledge if you know something and you know that this is something you shouldn't be doing and you know that this is something you put off, but you don't do it. So knowledge is no good unless you add self-control to your knowledge. So Peter tells us, add to your knowledge self-control, and then to your self-control, add steadfastness or perseverance because what good is any of this if you quit tomorrow? You run nine laps and you are first in all nine laps of a ten-lap race and you quit in the middle of the tenth lap, what did it accomplish you? Unless you finish that tenth lap, it's no good. So he says you've got to add perseverance to your self-control. And then he says you've got to add godliness to all of it because he don't just want you to do this out of your duty to him. Is it your duty to do this? Absolutely. But it is not your motivation. Your motivation is your delight in God. And so that's why he says add to all of this godliness. Because that word godliness translates as a, um, the actual definition to it is a personal attitude of honor and devotion toward God that results in actions pleasing to Him. So because of your devotion and your honor toward God, it is what motivates you to do these things. You don't do it because you have to do it. You do it because you love Him. And you love what He has done for you. And we find our greatest satisfaction in following and walking with God. Now here's where we get to today's growth chart. Brotherly affection. Because here's what I thought about. You know, you would think that by the time you added all of these things and got to godliness, that you're doing it all because of your love for God, that that would be the stopping place. You would think that that would be it. 
I mean, once you got to there, everything else should fall in line. If you love God with all your heart and you delight in serving Him, is there anything else that doesn't fall in line? But Peter goes on and he adds, he says, to your godliness, I want you to add brotherly affection. And so here's what I see in this. Peter wants us to make sure that we don't make the mistake in thinking we can actually love and delight in God and do all these things for the glory of God, but not have love and delight in our brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I love God, but I don't know about them. I love God, but I don't love them. And here's where Peter wants to make sure you understand. You can't love God and have a desire for God and not love God's children. It's not possible. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, I didn't get my sheet with my scriptures, so I'm going to have to rely on this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, for he who does... I'm sorry, go back to that, Mark. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. But again, it's not that kind of must. You must do it, but not because I must do it. I have to do it. If you see this thing right, you're going to be able to add a true brotherly affection to the family of God because they are your family. We're going to get into more of that in just a minute. So today we see that Peter would tell us Christians that we should grow in our love toward even those who are hard to love. Because he wouldn't be telling you to add brotherly affection if it was something that you naturally did, right? If it was something that you were going to do on your own, would He have to tell you to do it? So here He's not just talking about loving those whom love you. But instead, I believe He's really referring here to loving those that are hard to love. And so let's get into that just a little bit. This comes from a Greek word. Again, I'm not trying to be a professor here. I just want you to see the root of this. This comes from an original Greek word that's called Philadelphia. Some of you may know this word as the name of a city in Pennsylvania. This city is also known as the city of... Philadelphia is the Greek word that literally means... It comes from two words. It comes from a word that means um, love and especially the love of brothers. And so this is an affection of a family. This is an affection that is felt between two blood brothers or two blood sisters in this. It's something that is just there. It's not something that has to be mustered up. It's not something that that has to be um, uh, uh, reached out for. It's just something that is naturally there. But for the spiritual person... It is not naturally there because of the flesh. And so we have to figure out how do we apply this and how do we by the power of God put this into action. You think about this. Um, You may have brothers and sisters that you grew up with. Did you ever fight with them? Did you ever squabble with them? Argue with them? Fuss at each other? 
You may squabble, you may get mad, you may fight, but you let someone else come in and mess with your brother or your sister. What do you do? All of a sudden, Philadelphia comes to life, right? It's not something you had to muster up. It's not something you had to find. It's something that was just there. And it was brought to life whenever trouble came into the family. And when it comes into the family, all of a sudden Philadelphia shows strong. You let one of you get sick. I mean, you may not talk to each other for years, but then you get a phone call that says they're sick. All of a sudden Philadelphia comes through strong, don't it? So you let one of them get sick or you even let one of them die. There will be concern and sorrow that doesn't naturally come for other people. I want you to get that feeling because this is the affection that I'm talking about. See, I grew up with three sisters. I didn't have any brothers. And there were many times that we couldn't stand each other. My oldest sister, she liked to beat me with meat cleavers. She's sitting back here somewhere, or she was. She liked to beat me up with meat cleavers. Yeah, she heard it. And then, since she's standing there, she would because she, she was bigger than me back then, she could actually hold me down on the floor and she'd take a, a one of them loogies. I'm going to gross y'all out for a minute. And she'd get over top of me and she'd let that thing drip down. And she'd... <laughs> Brothers and sisters, right? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, right? I'm telling you. And so what, I, what would I do? Well, I'd go get my Louisville Slugger and i hit her in the head with a bat. That's exactly what I did. And this is just the way that we, we did. My little sister Penny, I believe she actually came into this world for the purpose of trying my patience and my anger. That is her whole reason God sent her into this world. So I would try to stone her to death. I literally did. I took many big old rocks and I chunked them. And I, I mean, I hit her. Tried everything in my world to hit her. I remember I held her up against the wall one time and choked her till she turned blue in the face. I mean, she was here to try me for everything that I had. And this was the life we had. My other little sister, Jenny, she was one of those that was very quiet and never said nothing. And so she went through all of our life with us picking on her and, and, and knocking her around. And then, But one day she had enough. And my little sister Penny, who was the, the tester of all of us, she had her up against the wall and Jenny had had all she could took. And so with everything she had in her, she came around and she gave her the meanest right hook and busted it nose and blood was everywhere. Mom and Dad were out of town and here we were trying to get everything cleaned up. Blood was everywhere. But this was brother and sister life. But you let something outside of this blood get into this and begin to cause any trouble, what do you think happened? Philadelphia came out. Brotherly love came out. And that's exactly what happens with brothers and sisters. We fight, we squabble, but there is a real feeling of affection. Not something we have to say, well, I love them. No, I fight with them. There are times I can't stand them. But they're my sister's. And I can mess with them, but you don't mess with them. Can I get an amen? amen? And so this is what Peter is calling us to. He's literally calling us to the affection of brotherly love. Now I know what you're thinking. There's too many weirdos and crazy emotional misfits in this church. and I can't do that. I thought the same thing about y'all. I can't feel affection toward them. It's just not there. I don't have the strength to do it. And you know what? You're right. You don't. 
And there are people that are hard to love. But that's why Peter tells us at the beginning of this chapter that God has given you His divine power. He's given you all things to be able to do this. Namely, His Holy Spirit. He's given you divine nature. And He has given you the power over your own sinful desires so that you can take what He says and by faith you can apply it and you can actually put this into practice and you grow into it. Now listen, this is not something that happens overnight, but this is something that Peter is commanding you as a church. You do this. These are your brothers and your sisters and you need to have affection toward them, a brotherly affection so that even though you squabble and even though you fight, you are the family of God with the same Father. And anybody else better not come in and mess with you. And that is what he's calling us to today. So, I want to look at why real quickly we have to do this. I'm going to go through these quick so I don't have a lot of time. The first reason, so if you're writing, write quick. The first reason why we have to do this, why it's our duty to do this, is because it's our witness to the world of the true love of God. This is the mark by which the world knows that we are truly children of God. If you don't do this, the world will never know that you're a child of God because you're no different than anybody else. John chapter 13 verse 34 through 35. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this. By what? By the love for each other. Now remember, he's not talking about, yes, we're supposed to love everybody. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Who's thy neighbor? That's right. But this is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the love for one another between disciples between church folk. He's saying here the same thing that Peter is saying. It's brotherly affection, not worldly affection. And so he says here, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Justin Martyr was a second century Christian and here's what he wrote during the second century. He said, we used to value above everything else money and possessions. Now we freely give all that we have and we share it with, with all that are in need. Formerly, we hated and killed one another because of a difference in nationality or custom. But now, since the coming of Christ in our lives, we all live in peace. We pray for our enemies and we seek to convert those who hate us. And then listen to what another first century Christian wrote. He said, It is our care for the helpless. It is our practice of loving kindness toward one another that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look at how they love one another. In other words, this is the mark that Christ has given you that makes you different from the world. You are all types of different people who normally may not even be friends. Put you outside of this place, outside of Christ, you may not would even hang with each other or even like each other. But now, because of the blood of Christ and our common Father and our common Savior, we have a deep family bond that makes you my brother or you my sister and I your brother. And because of that, there is a love that has to be expressed between one another so that when the world looks at us, they see a family and say, but I don't understand. They're not family. Yeah, 
We're family. And it's because we have the same Father. The second reason why we must do it, it confirms to us that we are children of God. Do you want to know if you're a child of God? How many of you want to know I'm a child of God? I know that I am. If you want to know that, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be what? Sons. Sons. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He, in other words, this is the way your Father does. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and the good. And He sends His reign on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, are you like your Father? Everybody loves those who love them. But, He says, do, you, do not even the tax collectors do the same? Go on to verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. The last one, verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, if you want to be sons, if you want to be chips off the old block, you need to act like your father. And your father loves those who don't love him. Your father loves those who are not easy to love. Your father loves those who are actually his enemies and who actually persecutes Him. That's who your Father is. So if you want to confirm that you're a child of God, you do it by acting like your Father. Last thing of why we do it. It proves our true love for our Father. 1 John 5.1 It proves our true love for our Father. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. You want to prove your love for the Father? Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father, here's what they do. If you really love the Father, then you love whoever has been born of Him. If you want to love me, love my children. Anybody can relate to that? If you want to love me, love my children. That's how you prove that you love me. Love what's most important to me. Then I know that your love is real for me. Lastly, how do we do this? How do we do this? The first way we do it, you remind yourself that they are children of God even in their flaws. Let me say that one more time. You have to remind yourself that we are all children of God even in our flaws, even in our sinfulness. Christ died for them just for you. They are forgiven for all their sins that make you upset. Everything that somebody does. I want you to think about the person in your life right now or the believer that is hard to love. You got that person yet? Didn't take you long, did it? Now I want you to think about that person for a minute and I want you to remind yourself of this. They are a child of God, not because they're perfect, not because they do it all right, but because they believe the same way that I believe. And their sins and all their flaws that make me so upset, they're covered by the blood of Christ. You know, I love the story of the Passover lamb. I don't have time to go through the whole exodus with you, so I pray you have some biblical knowledge of it. But you might remember that the, um, the death angel was going to come through the, the, 
city of Egypt that night and um, the Israelites were to take a spotless lamb and slaughter it and take the blood and wipe it over the doorpost. And do you remember what God said He would do? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. In other words, the wrath of God is coming through the city. And it's going to take anyone that the blood is not applied to. But I want you to notice something about this. Did He say, when I see the blood and your good works, I will pass over you? Did He tell any household, when I see the blood and that you're trying to do better, I will pass over you? Did He tell any household, when I see the blood and I see that, 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 that you at least got a few things going right for you, I will pass over you? What did He say? When I see the blood, I will pass over all your sins and over all your flaws. If that don't do nothing for you this morning, something's wrong with you. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And here's what you're saying to God when you refuse to pass over someone else with your wrath. You're saying, God, I know you do it this way, and I want to have that. I want to accept that for me, but I'm not going to do it for anybody else. And so when I see the blood on my brother and sister's life, and I see them change the thing that upsets me so bad, then I'll love them. Then I'll feel affection toward them. Then I'll pass over them. You dishonor God. You dishonor God. God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And so you remind yourself, when you picture that person, when they upset you, when they make you angry, when they sin against you and they betray you in the worst way, you remind yourself that they are the child of God. And when He sees the blood, He passes over everything else. This is what God does for us now, and this is what God is going to do for you in judgment. Listen, when you stand before God in judgment, here's what's going to happen. He's going to have the book of life. And if your name's in there, the Bible also tells us that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. We must all stand before this seat. And so as we're standing before this seat of Christ and we're giving account for the things in the body, whether they're good or bad, there's going to be how much, if you were to put it on a scale, how much of you do you think there's going to be good and bad? But let me tell you what God's going to do. He's going to come and He's going to take the blood and He's going to apply it to the bad and He's going to push it all out of the way that so only the good stands and that's what He's going to see. And He's going to look at that and say, here's your reward, here's your reward. But on the other hand, He's not going to look at the bad and go, here's the punishment, here's the punishment, here's the punishment. He's going to say the blood is the punishment. And so if that's what God is going to do for you in judgment, if He looks at you and He sees the bad, but He wipes it away and covers it with the blood so that only the good stands, here's the second way that you love your brothers. No matter how flawed they are, you need to make sure that you look for evidences of God's grace in their life. Do you know how easy it is for us to see the flaws? It is so easy for me to see your flaws and it is so easy for you to see my flaws. But you know, it's a little bit harder for me to see the good in you. That's right. All I have to do is look though. If I look at you 
there's good somewhere if you're a believer. If you're a believer, God is at work in every believer's life. And so why don't I quit taking the time to focus on the bad things that you do and take just a little bit of time to squint and actually find the good thing that you do. Find the person in this body right now that just aggravates you the most, that does the things that you think that they're just bad and they don't do anything right. You look at them real close for just a minute. And you know what you're going to find? They do this. They do this. They love these people. They love, they love God as they do this. You're going to see that in every believer, there are evidences of God's grace in their life somewhere. And so will you please stop focusing on all the flaws? They're easy to see. And would you just look a little bit deeper into those that bother you the most and see that there's evidence of God's goodness in them? That's what God does for you. And so my prayer is that if you can do those two things, you will be able to add brotherly kindness and brotherly affection to the family of God. Lastly, this is my last one. I've went through them quick. I hope you've got them. Um, there was so much more I could say about all of them, but we'll just get through them. The third one, this is the last one. Remember that none of this is possible outside of prayer and faith. Listen, if this were natural for you to do, this wouldn't be something Peter or Jesus or anybody would have to command you to do. But it's not natural. Your natural response to people that offend you is what? They have to pay, right? That's your natural response. Is that the way that God responds to them? So if you're going to be sons of your Father in heaven, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to learn to do what He does. And it's not a duty thing. It's not because I have to do it, even though you do have to do it. It's because you're able to recognize what He has done for me. And if He applies the blood to me, and He looks at the good in me, I want to apply the blood to you. So that every time you offend me, and every time you do something, I apply the blood to you. And I remember that they are, that sin is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And yes, they're sinners, but they are, there are evidences of God's grace in their life, and I am thankful for them. They're my brother. They're my sister. You know, me and Nick, uh, I've said this a lot, and I don't mean this as an insult. It actually works pretty good. We're a lot different. You put us outside of things, we may not necessarily be the closest of friends because he, 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 he's this and I'm that. And we're just a lot different. His personality is a lot different than my personality. But that's my brother. <laughs> that's my brother right there. I feel that. I don't tell you that because I have to tell you that. I tell you that because I feel it. That is my brother. And I know that there are things, and listen, there have been so many times, you can ask him, we stood out here right outside of this office one day and squabbled so bad that I had to look at him and go, hey, we're going to have to get in a room here somewhere. I was doing something he didn't like, he's done things I didn't like, and we've been working together for a long time now. And let me tell you, if you do anything with anybody for any length of time, let me tell you, you're going to have a squabble. And so... 
It would have been very easy for me to have said, you know what, Nick's just Nick and I'm me, so you go do your thing and I'm going to go do mine. But instead, I reminded myself that this is my brother. We have the same blood. It ain't king blood and it ain't Wells blood. We have Christ's blood that's applied to both of our lives. And He may make me mad and I may make Him mad and we may squabble and fight and, and, and just do everything we can to offend each other. But one thing I always remind myself, that's my brother. And I love him. Because we have this common bond. This deep bond that is established because of the blood of Christ. I pray you can get that, but you won't know the truth of it. Not many do. Not many get it. Oh, they come into it and they, it's, it's nice sounding. They say, oh yeah, this is my family. This is my family. You don't walk out on your family when things get tough. That's the truth of it. When things get tough and things get toughest, yeah, you struggle through it and it's hard. But you're a family. And you have the same father. And you have the same blood. And because of that, you work through it. Remember, none of this is possible outside of prayer and faith. Last thing, Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. He says, And they came to Bethsaida, And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and he asked him, Do you see anything? Now listen, does Jesus have to do anything twice because he ain't strong enough the first time? But here's what happened. So Jesus spits on the man's eyes and he rubs his eyes and he says, Open your eyes. Tell me what you see. The man looks up and he said... I see men. Now remember, this guy was blind. Did he have any natural ability to see? No. Nope. But he opens his eyes and he says, I see men, but they look like trees walking. What does that tell you about this man's eye? It don't tell you that Jesus' power was weak. That's right. His eyes. But it tells you that this man's eyes were weak. And they had to grow And they had to be strengthened to do this. It happened because of faith. He trusted that the one who told him to open his eyes was the one that was going to make him be able to see. You have to trust that the one who's telling you to love your brothers the same way that I have loved you is the same one that is going to give you the power to do it if you remember the things that He's teaching you. And so He says here, then Jesus laid his, eye, his hands on his eyes again, and he, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything what? Clearly. This is not something that you can do in your own power and your own ability. I've had people in my life that have, have offended me, and I've done the same. I have offended people in my life. I have done things that were wretched and terrible to people. If I could go back and change it, I, I would. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. But let me tell you today, by faith, I'm learning that I want those people to love me. Will they ever love me? I don't know. I want them to. I want them to see the evidence of God's grace in my life. That's what I want. They may not ever see it. I want you to be able to look at each other. And when you make each other so mad, you can't stand each other. 
It is my prayer that this common family bond that you have will hold you together and that even though it's hard to feel affection toward them in a brotherly way, you will remind yourself that by faith and trusting that God tells me to love them this way, when you do that, it may be fuzzy at first. It may not feel right at first. Your legs may not walk good at first. Your eyes may not see good at first. But just give Jesus and faith a little bit more time. And keep getting up and keep walking. And I promise you, this is something that will supernaturally come into you so that you don't even feel the offense anymore. I can witness that to you. I have people in my life today that I don't, even, I don't even think about the offense anymore. I don't care about the offense anymore. That's my sister, my brother, my loved one. That's my family. But it ain't by my power. It ain't by my strength. It's by faith that if God tells me to do it, He'll give me the power to do it. He'll give me the knowledge to do it. And He'll change my heart to do it. So I say to you this morning, Add to your growth brotherly affection. And you remind yourself, this is your family. And when things get tough, I pray you practice the traits of your father. Kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, love, joy, peace. And if you can do that, you can grow in faith. Now listen, how many of us have failed at this? Amen. Yep. I have too. I don't, again, I never preach a message to try to make you walk out of here going, boy, I'm just the worst child of God there's ever been. I'm that black sheep kid. I'm the, I'm the middle child. Where Maggie Lee at? I'm the middle child syndrome. I'm the child that, they, they just, that everybody else is their favorite. Everybody else is his favorite. I'm the guy that just can't get it right. That's not my desire. My desire is for you to hear the Word of God and go, okay, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I mess up and I know I got a lot of bad stacked over here. But I thank you that you, you see the blood and you pass over all that and you teach me so that I can keep growing in your faith. And so my prayer is that whatever He speaks to you today, listen to Him. Amen. Apply it to your life. You think about that person right now that troubles you so bad in the faith, that brother or sister that you just can't seem to love. And I pray that you remind yourself, when I see the blood, I'll pass over all that. Because that's what God has done for me. And He has made us family. And they're my brothers and my sisters. If y'all would stand this morning. Whatever the Lord has spoke, I pray that you have listened. I pray that the Word challenges you. And I pray the Word changes you. I pray the Word cheers you. And I pray that you are a completely different person today, especially as a child of God, because of the Word that you heard. And I pray that you're able to add godly, add brotherly affection to your love for God.